your Bibles with me this morning to two places. Let's go to Romans chapter 1 and also to the book of Habakkuk chapter 4, or chapter 2 rather. Romans chapter 1, Habakkuk chapter 2. All this tells me is, is uh, whatever it is the Lord is wanting me to say this morning, the devil don't want it said and he sure doesn't want it recorded. So, we'll, we're moving forward. Romans chapter 1, Habakkuk chapter 2. I'll give you a minute to find Habakkuk chapter 2. Most people don't read over in the book of, book of Habakkuk very often. We had a friend in Oklahoma who used to say Habakkuk, but it's not. It's Habakkuk. So, Romans chapter 1, we've been using this as our theme text and our theme scripture. We've been doing a study of righteousness for several weeks. And we're going to pick up and move forward into what the Lord has for us. But I am going to go back and review just a little bit. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, The just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that which... That because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful. You may want to take note of that. That's going to come up later. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Now back up at verse 16, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. And as we've talked about, the gospel is the power of God. Verse 17 tells you why. For therein, where? In the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so in these two verses, as we've already talked about, there's a direct connection between the power of God and the righteousness of God. And I've shared with you some definitions of the righteousness of God. Let me share them with you again. First of all, the classic definition of righteousness. The classic definition of righteousness is the ability to stand in the presence of a holy God without guilt, without fear, and without condemnation. It's the ability to stand in the presence of a holy God without guilt, without fear, and without condemnation. Another definition, I want to give this to you. The Lord began to show this to me a week or two ago, and I want to give it to you because it's going to come up again today. One definition of righteousness is the ability to please God. Righteousness is the ability to please God. We've talked about the word righteousness itself. It's an old English word which literally means to be in right standing with someone. 
So in order to be righteous before God or to be righteous before God means that you are rightly related to God, you're in divine order, you're in divine alignment, and you're rightly connected to God. We've talked about the fact that we are the righteousness of God not because of what we do or what we don't do. We are the righteousness of God because of the sacrifice of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus bore our sins on the cross in order that we might be made the righteousness of God. We've also talked about the fact that righteousness is a free gift. You don't earn it, you receive it by faith. Romans 5.17 says, For if by one man's offense, talking about Adam, death reigned by one much more, they which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. So righteousness is given through the sacrifice of Jesus. Righteousness is a free gift. We've also talked about the fact that righteousness is designed to affect the way we think. It's designed to affect our attitude. Come on. Na, 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 na. Well, it was doing working, wasn't it? There it goes. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 23 and 24 says, Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. In other words, your whole attitude needs to be changed. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So righteousness is designed to affect the way we think. Now I want to remind you again of this definition. Righteousness is the ability to please God. Righteousness is the ability to please God. And I also want you to take note, verse 17 says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. Righteousness is a revelation. Please take note of that. Righteousness is a revelation and it's designed to affect the way we think. Verse 17, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, The just shall live by faith. Well, when Paul wrote that, he quoted from Habakkuk chapter 2. Let's go over there and look at that for just a moment. Hold your place in, in Romans. Don't lose that. Habakkuk chapter 2. Verse 4, Habakkuk 2, 4 says, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. The just shall live by his faith. And take note here in verse 4. He's contrasting here with an individual. He said, his soul which is lifted up is not upright within him. When you study the word of God, when you find that when a person has their soul lifted up, they're a person that's operating in pride. So what you have in this verse is a contrast 
between a person who walks in pride and a person who is walking in the righteousness of God by faith. Please take note of that. That's going to come up again later. Okay? Now, faith is the, excuse me, righteousness is the ability to please God. And I don't know that my thing is going to work here. No. Okay, Hebrews chapter 11, I'll just quote it to you. He that cometh unto God must believe that he is, and believe that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Let's see if that helps. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. He that cometh unto God must believe that He is and believe that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Faith pleases God. Righteousness is the ability to please God. Righteousness is, I want you to take note of this, righteousness is a revelation of the pleasure of God. Take note of that. Righteousness is a revelation of the pleasure of God. Now go back over to Romans for just a second. Say, where are you going with this? Hang on, I'm t- we'll begin to tie it together in just a second. Romans chapter 1. Verse 16, once again, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now what is righteousness? Righteousness is the ability to please God. Righteousness is a revelation of the pleasure of God. But now go down to verse 18 here for just a moment. He said, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now, when you think of the wrath of God, most people, when they think of the wrath of God, they think of earthquakes, they think of pestilence, they think of famines, they think of all kinds of things breaking out in the earth. That is a manifestation of the wrath of God, but it's not the root of it. Verse 18, For... Or for the wrath of God is revealed. Wrath is a revelation. So we've got two revelations in contrast here. We have the revelation of righteousness and we have the revelation of wrath. Righteousness is the revelation of the pleasure of God. Can you guess what the revelation of wrath is? Exactly. The wrath of God is the revelation of the displeasure of God. Now take note of that. Wrath is the revelation of the displeasure of God. 
Verse 17 18, For therein is the righteousness of God, or in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, The just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So again, you've got two revelations that are in contrast to one another. And notice here in verse 19, Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, or is manifest in men, is manifest in all of humanity. That which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. Verse 20, For the invisible things of Him, talking about God, from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Every human being has a revelation of the wrath of God. There is not one single human being apart from Jesus of Nazareth that has ever been born into the earth that does not have a revelation of God's wrath inside their spirit. And in fact, every religion, I don't care if you're talking about a guy in his coat and tie sitting in a stained glass cathedral or some guy sitting in a jungle somewhere with a bone through his nose cutting himself with stones. It all runs together every single religious exercise is an attempt to deal with that revelation of the wrath of God that every human being has and, and trying to appease God in some way. All religion is born out of that. All religion is born out of the revelation of that wrath. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3, the Bible talks about what it was like before we were born again. And it says in, in Ephesians 2, 3, "...among whom also we all had our conversation or manner of life in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others." Now I want you to take note of that word nature. The Greek word that's used there is phusis. Let me just spell it for you. It's P-H-U-S-I-S, phusis. It's a very interesting word. It means that which comes by natural germination or lineal descent. That which comes by natural generation or lineal descent or that which is inherited. When you and I were born into this earth, we had a revelation birthed inside our spirit that we inherited from our father, Adam. Now let's go over to Genesis chapter 3. I want to show you something about this revelation. Genesis chapter 3.
Genesis chapter 3, you all know the story. God commanded man not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But man disobeyed God. And in verse 7 it says, The eyes of them both were opened. Now whenever you find in the Scripture the phrase, the opening of the eyes, particularly when it's referring in a figurative manner, or being used in a figurative manner, it's always referring to revelation. So in verse 7, it says the eyes of them both were open. They disobeyed God and there was a revelation. The eyes of them both were opened... And they knew that they were naked. Now, please take note. It didn't say that they saw that they were naked. It said they knew it. They knew it. The eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Now look at Adam's response in verse 10. He said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Now, we've talked about this before, but let me remind you, just a few minutes before they had disobeyed God, when they when they uh, saw God, they had a picture of God as the loving Heavenly Father. But now that they disobeyed God, they run from the presence of God. And they hide. Not because God had changed, but because they had changed. Their disobedience had given birth inside their spirit to a revelation of the wrath of God. And that revelation of His wrath caused them to want to run away from God. And every single human being, as I said earlier, apart from Jesus of Nazareth, when they're born into this earth, they are born with that revelation inside their spirit of the wrath of God passed down from their father Adam. But now notice in verse 10. It says, and he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Now we've, we've talked about this before. Adam and Eve were naked in the garden. The Bible says that Adam and Eve were naked in the garden, but they were not naked in the sense that you and I would be. It is true that they didn't have any natural clothing, but they weren't clothless. The Bible says that in Psalm 104 and verse 2 that God clothes Himself with light as with a garment. And man is made in the image and likeness of God. And when Adam walked in the garden, he walked in the light of the glory of God and that was his clothing. But now here in verse 10, he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. But now watch God's response in verse 11. He said, who told you you were naked? Who told you that? That's an interesting response. That's an interesting response. Because if Chet came in here with all his clothes on, 
and he starts sitting down trying to cover himself up. Chet, what are you doing? Well, I'm naked. Who told you that? But now if he came in the door and he was naked, nobody would have to ask. (laughs) It would be a self-evident fact. Isn't that true? Wouldn't that be obvious? But, here's the point that I want to make. Look at God's response. Who told you you were naked? Evidently, they were still clothed. But they couldn't... Let me rephrase. They no longer saw themselves as clothed. They saw themselves as naked. That's what the revelation of the wrath of God brings. It brings a sense of nakedness and it brings a sense of vulnerability in the presence of God and you want to run away and hide yourself. But now here's the point. Here is Adam seeing himself as naked. Here is God seeing him, seeing Adam as clothed. God sees him clothed. Adam sees himself naked. Adam chose to believe how he saw himself rather than how God saw him. Do you see that? Now what was the truth? The way God sees you is the way it is. That's the truth. He is the truth. Adam chose to believe how he saw himself rather than how God saw him. And in choosing to believe how he saw himself above how God saw him, he made himself his own God. That's called pride. And pride is contrasted with the righteousness which is by faith. Do you see it? You have a choice. You have an option. You can choose to see yourself the way you want to see yourself. You can choose to see and judge yourself the way you want to see and judge yourself. Or you can choose by faith to see yourself the way God sees you. One path is the pathway of pride. The other path is the pathway of the righteousness of God. Adam chose pride. Now, let's go back over here to Romans again. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Verse 16, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Why? For therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just or the righteous shall live by faith. 
Verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. What's he saying here? There is a universal revelation in this earth of the wrath of God. All men inherited that revelation from their father Adam. By nature... Men are the children of wrath. By nature, men see God as an ogre and a God of anger and justice that somehow has to be appeased. And in order to counteract that, God sent Jesus and He released the gospel into the earth. And in the gospel is the revelation of the righteousness of God. And the revelation of the righteousness of God is designed to counteract the revelation of the wrath of God. It's the antidote, if you will. Now here's the problem. A lot of churches that you go into... People that are lost, people that don't know God, people that have not received Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. Many times they go into a church and they go in and they know and they have an understanding that they're sinners. The truth of the matter is most people know they're sinners. Did you know that? Most people know they're sinners. Some of them are proud of it. (laughs) But they already know it. So they go into church and they begin to hear the, the, the gospel. They begin to hear the word of God and they know that they need God. And so they go to church and many times they hear the message of salvation. They hear the message of the cross. They hear that Jesus died for their sins. They hear the message of the fact for John three sixteen For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so, at the end of the service, they realize they need God, they realize they need Jesus, they come down to the front and they receive Jesus as Lord and Savior and they're born again. Hallelujah. And there is a weight that is lifted off of their shoulders. And maybe for the first time in their lives, they begin to see that the God that they thought was a God of wrath and anger and condemnation is now a loving Heavenly Father. But now here's the problem. Many, 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 many churches, they're very good at getting people born again. Very good at getting people saved. But once they're born again, instead of teaching them and training them in the righteousness of God, the same message of condemnation continues to be preached Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. You ugly thing, you need to straighten up. Yeah, you may be born again and going to heaven, but you probably acted ugly all week and you probably need to come down and rededicate. Y'all ever heard any preaching like that? Y'all need to come down and rededicate. Get your life straightened out. Oh, yes, you're born again and going to heaven, but no telling how badly you messed up this past week. You need to get things in order so that you don't incur the wrath of God. 
And basically what happens is that revelation of wrath is fed back into their spirit. So even though they're born again, they feel as distant from God as a person who is lost. They have no fellowship with God. They're afraid to have contact with God. They just know they'd better act right. Because the righteousness of God has not been taught. And basically what happens is you end up with a church that's preaching a message of sin and condemnation. And do you know why they preach sin and condemnation? Because they're afraid of sin. And I want to tell you something. If you preach sin and condemnation, the congregation's going to follow exactly what's preached. Do you know that? But if you start teaching people in the righteousness of God, 1 Corinthians 15, 34. You ought to get this scripture and memorize it. 1 Corinthians 15, 34. Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. It's a shame to not have a revelation of the righteousness of God. It's a shame in the church to not have an understanding that we've been made the righteousness of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And it's actually a very dangerous thing. Some people say, well, we've got to preach against sin. That won't stop it. The thing that will stop it is the revelation of the righteousness of God. And when you have a church that all they preach is sin and condemnation, basically people get tired of hearing it. Do you know that? It's like Brother Hagin used to say all the time. He said, even an old hog's got enough sense. If he keeps coming to the trough to eat, you bang him in the head with a ball bat, eventually he'll quit coming. And when you have churches that all they preach is condemnation and you go to church and feel like you've been hit with a ball bat every time you go, eventually you'll quit going. But when you begin to get a revelation of the righteousness of God, things will begin to change. To preach condemnation is a very dangerous thing. Let me show you why. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. You all know this scripture. First John chapter 1 tells us what to do when we miss it. Tells us what to do when we sin as believers, as Christians. 1 John 1, nine says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful. This is talking about Jesus. He is faithful. Say that with me. He is faithful and just or righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. 
Now, when you have a person that does not have a revelation of the righteousness of God and they still have a revelation of God's wrath and condemnation, here's the problem they wind up in. They know that Scripture is in there. They miss it. They blow it. They make a mistake. They sin. They understand if I go to Jesus and confess it, I get forgiveness. So they go and they do that. But here's the problem. In fact, we dealt with this last Wednesday night. Well, I know, I know I confess that to Jesus. I know He's faithful and just to forgive. I know He's faithful and just to cleanse. But I feel so guilty. Have you ever been there? <laughs> I know I confessed it to him, but I just feel so guilty for what I did. No, he is faithful, but I feel so guilty. He is faithful and just to forgive, but I feel so guilty. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're making the same mistake Adam did. You're choosing how you see yourself above how God sees you. You see yourself as guilty because that's how you feel. God said in His Word, you're forgiven. God said in His Word, you're cleansed. Now which are you going to believe? What choice are you going to make? If you choose To live by the feelings of guilt, in essence, you have made yourself your own God because you've exalted how you feel above what God said, and that's called pride. Do you see it? What's humility? Humility says, I may feel guilty, I may feel terrible. I may feel awful for what I did. But Lord, you said in your word, if I confess my sin, you're faithful, you're just to forgive and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So regardless of how I feel or what I think, I choose to believe I'm forgiven. I choose to believe I'm cleansed. I choose to believe I'm the righteousness of God. And keep moving forward. Keep going forward in the things of God. And let me explain something to you. In your walk with God, as you're moving forward, when you stumble and miss it and fall and sin, you don't go back here to square one and start over. You stop where you fell. Confess it, get rid of it. Get it out of your spirit. Get it out of your consciousness. Pick up from where you are and keep moving forward. Keep progressing. Keep progressing. Keep walking by faith that you are the righteousness of God. You're right there in 1 John 1, 9. Flip over to 1 John 3 for just a second. First John chapter 3, verse 
21. Or verse 20. Says, for if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart condemns us not, then have we confidence toward God. What's he saying here? Well, you've got to realize, just a couple of chapters earlier, he just gave us 1 John 1, 9, confessing our sin. He is assuming that the people that he's writing to, which would be us, he's assuming we have the intelligence to do what he said do when we miss it. But what are we going to do with these feelings? I still feel so guilty. I just still feel so awful. Verse 20, For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Now who knows more about the situation, you or God? Huh? Who knows more about it? You or God? God does. Now, who are you going to believe? That's what he's saying here. You have to realize, you may be feeling guilty, but God's greater than your heart and knows all things. And He says you're forgiven. He says you're cleansed. Now, what are you going to believe? Let me tell you something. Once you put your spear in the ground and make the decision, I choose to believe what God has said in His Word. I choose to believe God. I choose to believe I'm forgiven. I choose to believe I'm cleansed. You know what will happen? Eventually those feelings of guilt will come in line with what you chose to believe. That's how you deal with the guilt. You make the decision to believe that you're forgiven, that you're cleansed. Why? Because that's what God said in His Word and He's not a liar. Amen? Is that true? All right. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10 now. Hebrews chapter 10. I think I can see why the devil tried to mess with our equipment and everything else this morning. Can't you? (laughs) Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 38. He said, Now the just shall live by faith. Well, that's the same scripture that Paul used over in Romans 1. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Remember what we said righteousness is? It's the ability to please God. Didn't say God wouldn't love you, but He's not pleased. My soul will have no pleasure in Him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. I was reading that the other day. The Lord brought something to my attention I hadn't thought of in 40 years. Actually, longer than that, probably. When I was a a kid, I've always been a dog person. I love dogs. When I was a little kid, we would go to my my dad's uncle's farm up around the Lubbock area. 
He always had dogs on his place. Herding dogs. And, of course, I was a kid, I'd go up there. We usually went up about once a month and I'd play with all the dogs. Just have a great time. Well, the Lord brought back to my attention that, I don't know, I guess I was eight, nine years old. My uncle, my great uncle, got hold of a dog. She was a sweet little old dog. She, I, I'm remembering what she looked like. She looked kind of like a cross between a bird dog and a, and a border collie. So just a mutt. The Lord brought this dog back to my attention. And she was a sweet dog, but she was timid. And, I, of course, I'd, I'd always play with the dogs and have fun. And I, that, that, one, that one dog, I'd try to get her to come to me. And I, come here. Rio isn't here, is he? Good. Okay. Good. I don't want to get up right around. <laughs> if you don't know, we have a dog that comes to church. Welcome to Menard. Anyway, um, I'd call his dog, come here, come on. And she waggled her tail, wouldn't move. Come here, come on. And finally, he'd get to where she'd start moving toward me. And watch, I don't know if you've seen a dog do this, but she'd turn sideways like that. Start inching over to me. Come here, come on. <laughs> and she'd get right up to me. Then she'd take off. Of course, I'm an eight, nine, ten year old kid. I want to play with the dog. So here we go again. Do the same thing. Get right up to me. You go. I never could get that dog to come to me. All I wanted to do was play with her and have fun. And she was a sweet dog. And I'd play with the other two or three dogs, you know. And she'd just sit there and look and wag her tail. But I never could get her to come to me. And eventually, since I, could, <laughs> since I never could get her to come to me, eventually I just ignored her. I couldn't get her to come to me. I wasn't trying to be ugly. I wasn't trying to be mean. I just couldn't get her to come do, to me. Couldn't do anything with her. So he said, well, yeah, but she was probably abused. Well, she probably was. But I didn't do it. But she had been trained to fear people. And the Lord brought that to my attention when I was reading that scripture about drawing back. He said, um, that's the way a lot of Christians are. Even born-again people. That's, that's the way a lot of them are in their approach to God. And he said, he said, if any man draws back, my soul will have no pleasure. Not that he doesn't love you, but he doesn't get any pleasure out of timidity. But there are so many Christians that are living in condemnation instead of the righteousness of God that they draw back. And many of them, God is wooing him by his spirit. He's wooing them to come into his presence and they almost get into his presence and then they run away. 
And it's very interesting. I started looking at that scripture. He said, Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Take a note of that word, draw back. It's the Greek word, hupostello. Hupostello. It is a word that means to withdraw. It's a very interesting word in the Greek. Let me just give you a couple of references where it's used. In Acts 20.20, 20, Paul is speaking. He says, And how I kept, kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. Talking about the ministry of the gospel. He said, I didn't hold anything back. How I kept back nothing. Hupostello, kept back. And again in Acts twenty twenty seven, he said, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all of the counsel of God. That word shunned is hupostello. A lot of people, because of a spirit of condemnation and a sense of the wrath of God, have shunned God, many of them without even realizing it. Again, in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 12, you'll remember the story of Peter went to the churches of Galatia, which are Gentile churches. He went to those churches and he fellowshiped with those Gentiles until certain brethren came down from Jerusalem. And when he ca- they came down from Jerusalem, these Jewish brothers came in. He was afraid to fellowship with the Gentiles because of them, and he withdrew fellowship. Galatians 2.12, he said, For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew. Hupostello. He withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. What caused him to withdraw? Fear. What causes us to draw back from the presence of God? Fear. Timidity. And he said, my soul will have no pleasure in it. My soul will have no pleasure in him. But let me tell you what this word means. When the Greek heard the word hupostello, I found it very interesting. It is a medical word, and it's used of withhold the withholding of food from a patient so that he dies. That's interesting, isn't it? It's used of the withholding of food from a patient so that he dies. He said, if, my, if any man draws back, my soul will have no pleasure in him. I want you to realize that God is desperately hungry for our fellowship. God wants us to come boldly to the throne of grace as the righteousness of God and fellowship with Him. And the fact that this word is used of the withholding of food, I tell you, it just struck my spirit. It just struck my heart. God is hungry for fellowship. God is hungry for fellowship. The reason He created this whole shooting match to begin with and has gone through everything that he's gone through was so that he could have a being in his image and in his likeness that he could just fellowship with. I don't know if you've ever been in a place and a situation 
where you've been isolated. And there's nobody that you can really fellowship with. But I tell you, it's as bad as going without food. Because fellowship feeds. Fellowship will feed you. You're right there in Hebrews 10, the last part of that. Back up to the first part of the chapter. Let me show you something interesting. He was talking about withdrawing. Back up to Hebrews 10, verse 1. He said, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. Please take a note of that word, comers. Comers. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers, take note of that, that the worshipers once purged should have no more conscience of sin. Now, in these two verses, I want you to see something. He said that with the sacrifice of the blood of bulls and goats cannot make the comers perfect or complete. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshippers once purged. He calls the worshiper a comer. Are you a worshiper of God? A worshiper will come to God. A worshiper is one that seeks to enter into the presence of God and have fellowship with God and walk with God and He with Him. But you can't do that without the revelation of righteousness and you can't do that apart from faith. Without faith it is impossible to please God for He that cometh to God must believe that He is. And believe that He is a worshiper of them that diligently seek Him. What, what feeds God? You know, we talk about waiting on God. I'm going to just... What are you doing? I'm just... I'm waiting. I'm waiting, waiting. Waiting on God. That's not what he's talking about. That word wait in both the Hebrew and the Greek refers to a waiter, like one who waits on a table. So if I'm going to wait on God, what feeds Him? What am I going to take Him? What am I going to serve to Him? Turn with me to Psalm 50. Is this making sense? Psalm 50. Psalm 50, verse 12. God is speaking. Look at what He said here. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. The world is mine and the fullness thereof. Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? 
the people in Israel at that time had come to the place where they thought God lived off the blood of bulls and goats and sacrifices. He said, I don't, that's not what feeds me. And the thing that's interesting, he said, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. I don't want to be like that. We don't even think of God ever having a need, but God has a need, and it's the need for fellowship. And I don't, I don't want to be over in that class of people where if God has a need, He's not willing to tell me about it. I don't want to be that kind of a person. I want God to be able to entrust me with His needs. What does He need? Fellowship. God doesn't need nothing. He needs fellowship. Now here's something very interesting. and This, this is a side thought, but I'm just going to throw it out at you the way God throwed it out at me. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. If I had a need, I wouldn't tell you. That's interesting. God doesn't just throw His needs around. You know why? Because the communication of need is the highest form of intimacy that there is. The communication of need is the highest form of intimacy that there is. Now, what does that say about preachers that just continually beg for money? In essence, they've prostituted their ministry. You can just chew on that for a while. They've prostituted their ministry. Now, he said, if I were not hungry, I wouldn't tell you. I don't feed off the blood of bulls and of goats. What? What feeds God? Verse 14, Offer unto God thanksgiving. Pay thy vows unto the Most High. In other words, back your word. Do what you say you'll do. But the thing that I want you to see, offer unto God thanksgiving. Do you know what feeds God? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. And you have to understand something, folks. It's not about ego. God's not egotistical. God is love. He's not egotistical. You're not pumping His ego when you're saying thank you. That's not the point. I asked the Lord about that. I said, what is it, what is it that, 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 what is it in thanksgiving that feeds you? What? He said, he said, well, let me ask you this. He said, how do you feel when somebody comes up to you and says, Kenneth, thank you for your ministry. I appreciate what you do. How does that make you feel? It's a strengthening. And it, 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 there's something in it that makes, that, that makes whatever junk you're dealing with at the time, that's what makes it worthwhile. Thanksgiving releases the force of appreciation. Appreciation feeds. Whether you're talking about God or you're talking about another human being, appreciation feeds the Spirit. 
and we approach God, I just want you to know I thank you and I love you. I appreciate you. Psalm 100 and verse 4. I will enter His gates with thanksgiving and I'll enter His courts with praise. And when we enter into His presence as the righteousness of God and we just begin to say, Lord, I just want to thank You and praise You for Your presence. It begins to feed Him. It begins to minister to Him. It begins to to actually give strength to God. It magnifies Him. There's something about thank you. There's something about thanksgiving. I remember hearing this story 40 years ago or a little better. Uh, Brother Copeland was talking about he went to, he was ministering in Jamaica. This was like in the late 60s, early 70s. First time he'd ever ministered overseas. And he said, I'm there in Jamaica. And he said, of course, they're un- they've been under British rule for years. And of course, if you know anything about the British culture, you are to express no emotion whatsoever. You know, stiff up a lip and all that, you know. And so these people were taught you didn't express emotion. <laughs> and a man walked up to him. Brother Copeland, I was blind, but now I can see. Thank you. Turned around and walked off. Was it worth it? Oh, yeah. No expression of emotion, but just those words. Thanksgiving releases appreciation. It releases strength and encouragement. It's particularly where God is concerned. But appreciation is part of the harvest that's due. I was talking to the Lord about this. Uh, go ahead and throw this out at you. First Timothy 4.4 4, Every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. Talking about food. There's a direct connection between thanksgiving and food. There's Psalm 104. We quoted that earlier. This is what I wanted to get to. John 12, 24. Jesus made this statement. He said, "Except Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. I was up here yesterday. The Lord brought that scripture to my attention. How many of you have seen The Passion of the Christ? Powerful movie, huh? It didn't scratch the surface of what he went through. As graphic and as detailed as it was, didn't scratch the surface. I asked the Lord, I said, I know what you went through was worth it for me. <laughs> I'd be going to hell if you didn't go through what you went through. I said, was it worth it for you? Was it worth it for you? And he said, every time I hear one of my children say, thank you, 
He said, I would do it a thousand times over. That's part of his harvest. To release that appreciation. Jesus, thank you. I'd do it a thousand times over for two little words. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you releases appreciation. Appreciation releases the favor of God. <laughs> releases the favor of God. If you've got if you've got two kids and you got one that that doesn't appreciate what you do for them, you got another one that does. You may love them both, but you can't help but show favor to the one that's appreciative. You can't help it. That's a spiritual law. And to be thankful to God releases the favor of God. And I mean truly be faithful, not be a con. You're not going to con God. But to truly be thankful releases His favor. Um, there are times I'll watch Nicole with Zane, which <coughs> he's going to be five tomorrow. <laughs> so we got to go for grandson's birthday. But he's going to be five tomorrow. But I've watched Nicole with Zane, and she'd give him a piece of fruit or a toy or something, you know. And I've watched her <laughs> when, he, when she gives it to him sometimes. He'll say, thank you, Mommy. And I can just see it on her face. It's just, uh, I'll give you the moon if you want it. Because <laughs> appreciation releases favor. You can't help it. It releases favor. It releases strength. It's part of the harvest that's due. Well, let me show you something. Turn with me to Mark 4. I've got two more scriptures and I'm done. Can you survive? Mark chapter 4, and then we're going to look up another one. Mark chapter 4. Verse 24. And he said unto them, Take heed what you hear. With what measure you meet, or the measure with which you measure, it shall be measured to you. And to you that hear shall more be given. Again, verse 24. Take heed what you hear. With what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you. And the Lord took that word appreciation, was dealing with me about it yesterday, and He put it over in the, in the financial realm. When you have a piece of property that appreciates, or you have something that appreciates, what does that mean? It grows in value. It increases in value. When you give thanks to God, you are appreciating Him. He will grow in value inside your spirit. And you know what? You'll grow in value inside His. He can't love you any more or love you any less, but He'll get more pleasure out of your appreciation. 
Can you see that? Now let me show you one more scripture and I'm done. Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Verse 28. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. We don't hear much talked about that. We hear a lot about us praising God. We should. But I want to tell you something. There's going to come a day when we look Jesus in the face and He'll take our hand and He'll say, Thank you. And everything that we ever went through will be worth it. Those two words. Thank you. I want to hear that from the Master. Thank you. And I'll tell you the truth about it. There are times that I've heard those words in my spirit and hadn't even got to heaven yet. I've heard Him say, Thank you. Kenneth and I tell you it just makes whatever it is he's thanking me for just makes it seem so minuscule (laughs) so small (laughs) because to hear that thank you we thank him for all that he's done for us when we thank him everything that he went through at the cross is well worth it Now, based on everything that I've said, we're going to receive communion this morning. Cindy, since you're back there, if you will. No, I'll let Lucas do it. Lucas, if you will, pass out the elements, please, sir.